Well, we'll be all right if the Lord be on our side. We'll be all right if the Lord be on our side. We'll be all right if the Lord be on our side. And the Lord is on our side. So, most common objections to Christianity. Before I ask you what you're worried about hearing, what objections you're worried about hearing, I have one on your paper real quick that I love because it cracks me up so much. Have you ever heard it said, if God is true, can he make a rock so big that even he can't lift it? You ever heard that? No. You've never heard that. No. If you Google that right now, you'll find 10,000 articles, 10 million articles on that. Like it's, yes. Can God create a rock so big or heavy that he can't lift it? And it's supposed to be some sort of logical contradiction within God. Okay. I, I love this though. I love this argument. So as someone pointed out, the unbeliever will ask, can God make a rock so big that he can't lift it? The Christian will respond, there are many things that God can't do. This comes into being a good theologian. There are many things God can't do. Can God lie? No. Okay, there are many things that God can't do. Thank you. <laughs> God, God can't lie, according to Hebrews 6. <laughs> 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy says that he can't deny himself. There's lots of things God cannot do. It's okay to say that statement. Get comfortable with theology. That's what we're saying. The unbeliever will respond, well, if God is omnipotent, if he's all-powerful, then he has to be able to do anything. That's what it means to be all-powerful. He can do whatever he wants. The Christian responds that God cannot do the logically impossible. Now, this is because God is the foundation of logic, as we talked about earlier. The laws of thought come from the mind of God. He can't violate his own mind. He's God. Um, God cannot do the logically impossible. But the logically impossible is not a power. It's a weakness. The unbeliever responds, So then, God is not all-powerful. If he can't do whatever he wants, he's not all-powerful. To which the Christian should answer, If you think that this means that God is not all-powerful, then okay. If you want a God that can do the logically impossible, then yes, such a God can make a rock so big that he can't lift it. To which the unbeliever says, so there is something your God cannot do. He can create a rock that he can't lift. To which the Christian responds, no, a God that can do the logically impossible can lift a rock that he cannot lift. <laughs> you, you follow that? If God can do the logically impossible, then he... Then, you're, then you're, the, the, the argument that you're presenting is no longer a problem in the argument that you're trying to make. <laughs> Does that make sense? I love that little illustration. That's the, that's the root of what happens in apologetics. <laughs> so, what? I, we'll start off with one, and then I'll ask you guys. The problem of evil. It's called theodicy. Okay. How do you believe in a God who is all-knowing, all-powerful, and omnibenevolent, full of love, the God of love, who is love? How do you believe in a God that is these things, and yet we know evil, horrible, atrocious things happen in the world and through history? How is that possible? How do you answer that? Those are not wrong answers. Those are not wrong answers. Okay. I believe that those things are happening, and I, isn't that also like an inherent belief that I believe he could also stop them? If he allows them to happen, isn't that also a belief that one has the power to stop them? Yes, nature of secondary causes. So the, the, the answer that I'm hearing, though, 
prevailingly has been because we're sinful, because sinful things happen, because we're evil by nature, all of which are true. What I want you to realize, though, is you just got on the defensive. You want to be on the offense. So instead of answering his question with sinful things happen, which, by the way, doesn't answer the question, to be honest. You're right. It's true, but that doesn't answer his question. No, you want to go on the offense. What's evil? How do you know that the Holocaust was evil, bro? No, like you're, you're telling me that this is a problem. I'm asking you to give me an account for that being a problem in the first place. See, I can give an account. I know why it's wrong to murder 7 million people. Why do you think it's wrong? Or tragedy. That's the, the second one I have mentioned, and it's the same argument, the problem of pain. How do horrible things happen to people that are outside of their control? Well, what's horrible about a bag of protoplasm getting hurt? So, now, let me be clear about something, though. You don't leave it there. All right, you're, not, you're on the offense now. You're asking him to defend his worldview, but you still need to answer the question. You still need to answer the question. How is it the Holocaust could occur if God is all these things? And the Christian answer is, yes, because men are sinful. That's absolutely true. But you follow that tree long enough, and they start saying, well, did God allow man to be sinful? Did God put the fruit in the garden knowing that man would eat it? All these things that we would have to say yes to. <laughs> no, the, the response is, yes, evil has occurred. Horrible, horrible atrocities have occurred. And God has ordained them for His glory. That's what I was going to say, like, for His purpose, right? That's right. Yeah. That's right, for His purpose. Because here's the alternative. Here's the alternative. Listen to me. If you're a Christian, here's the alternative. Either A, either A, the Holocaust occurred, 7 million people were killed, and God's trying to make the best of a bad situation. Like, oh, oh crap, back to the drawing board. Or B, He ordained it for His purpose, and it has a meaning. And it has a meaning. Because to show his justice. Okay. So let's let's take the Holocaust example, okay? Let's take the Holocaust example. Why did God ordain the murder of seven million people? How can a merciful, loving God do that? Because he's not just merciful and loving, he's also just. And as he did with Pharaoh, he raised up a leader who he hardened his heart only to strike down and judge. He prepared a, a vessel of wrath prepared for destruction, as Romans 9 says. And he did it for his glory. Now, let me also tell you, we don't always have the answer for why God has done what he's done in history. We're not privy to the thoughts of God in that way. And that's okay. That's okay. Again, go on the offensive, though. In my worldview, God ordained this for his glory for a purpose. In your worldview, though, the first question, remember, was why is it wrong? Who cares? The second question is, in your worldview, a horrible act occurs. Seven million people are killed, and it's meaningless. It's just suffering. It's meaningless. There's no, there's no light to the end of the tunnel. There's no justice to be served to those who have perpetuated the evil. None of that. It's just meaningless pain and meaningless suffering, and you might as well die in it. Our worldview accounts for the problem and accounts for the solution to the problem, and the unbeliever does not. What else? Passes on, they've they've gone to the greatest. That's right. So, like, 
That's right. So it's getting, un, uh, you guys remember when Pastor Josh did the lecture, he talked about our, our ideas of God are far too human. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And our ideas of yep. this world are far too heavenly yep. is, is another part of that too. Which is yep. like, we forget that this isn't the end. Like, so a Christian or the instant mm-hmm. passing, <laughs> passing isn't tragedy. Too, uh, beauty. That's right. So three weeks ago, I preached on Herod slaughtering the innocent children in Bethlehem when Christ was born. Mm-hmm. We don't really think about that story around the Christmas time, even though it's right there in the Christmas narrative. Yeah. Um, what happened? Herod killed all the children. Christ, or God only pulled Christ. He only saved one child. He left the rest there. Suffering is a very real part of God's plan. But guess what, though? Those children's deaths were not in vain because that child that he saved, the Christ, was the one who paid for all the sins of those people. It was all part of the plan. And it was all to show his glorious grace to his people and his glorious justice to Herod when he punished Herod by taking his life. Make sense? What else? What other arguments are you afraid you're going to hear out there in the world? I know you have them. Because if you didn't, you'd share the gospel with every single person you came in contact with, no matter what. (laughs) We'll look at another one then, in the meantime, while you're thinking. Okay. Um, Let's see. Let's go with... The Bible is untrustworthy. How many of you have heard this one? The Bible was written by men, and men are fallible. Therefore, you can't trust the Bible. Simplest way to deal with that, you're a man, I can't trust you. And you're telling me I can't trust the Bible, which means you're probably lying, and I can trust that. <laughs> but what are, they, what are they assuming when they say that, though? What are, they, what are they presupposing? That it's just like any other book. There's nothing spiritual about this. There's nothing, nothing <coughs> divine that's happened in this book. It's just some other book that could have been messed up. The Bible is untrustworthy. So the first thing you want to identify is the bias. That it's just like any other book. No, it's not just like any other book. They're gonna and guess what they're gonna say? Well, I don't agree with you that it's not that it's just. Uh, I don't agree with you that it's divine. And you're gonna say, yeah, that's the point of this conversation. <laughs> like now we're getting to the root. You don't agree with this. That's the point. And then you want. So I said a minute ago that these examples I gave of common arguments they fall short. They're not bad. They're not wrong. They fall short. So it's okay for you in that circumstance to say, if this isn't trustworthy, tell me where. It's not trustworthy. Show me anywhere in this scripture where it's either been false or been misconstrued or it's been you know, uh, mis- mistranslated. Show me. Give me your receipts. That's the question you want to ask. What else? Or to continue that train of thought real quick, this is true because of the impossibility of the contrary. God revealed himself to us in this. If this word isn't true... And we can't understand anything in reality at all. If this isn't true, then this God isn't true. And if, the God, if this God isn't true, then we can't have this conversation right now. We don't even know that we exist right now. I think, like, talking about this, like, I, I really struggle with, like, talking to people about anything, much less getting into deep conversations. But I think I get frustrated, which is wrong. When I am making in my mind valid points and it's like still an argument. Mm-hmm. Like, no, I'm telling you it is what it is. <laughs> like, accept it. And I, have, I think I just have to like 
work on not being so defensive, maybe? So that's where that's where the asking questions becomes really valuable. Yeah. So I know what I'm telling you is right. Yeah. So I'm gonna keep asking you questions until you realize how stupid what you're saying is and you realize that this is right. Not that I'm gonna sit here and keep telling you that this is right. There's no let me be clear, there's no use in just simply reasserting your thesis over and over again. Yeah. They do that to us all the time. It doesn't do any good for you. But instead though, ask them the questions that make them deal with what they're saying or what you're saying. Make them squirm. Does that answer your question real quick? Yeah. Okay. So if they're going back to like, if they say the book is, you know, what can we, so if we, is it bad to ask like what makes you think it's not like. Absolutely. Okay. I mean, no, no, I'm sorry. No, it's not bad to ask. Ask them. Okay. You don't think this is true? Like what makes you think, what makes you think that? What makes you believe that this is not, and, or, or, you know, because I don't believe it's divinely inspired. What makes you think this book isn't divinely inspired? Well, it's just not possible for a book to be divinely inspired. That's not an answer. In fact, the very fact that it is divinely inspired would be the point that it's divine. <laughs> it doesn't usually happen. Ask them why. Ask them to show the receipts. Explain. What else? A common thing I get with my sister, somehow this one topic always comes up um is why is why is it even why is homosexuality even considered a sin um why is it wrong for two people to just love each other if mm -hmm. god is a god of love why two people loving each, each other wrong why is homosexuality a sin and why is it wrong for two people to love each other yeah like she's going yeah purely off the basis of like love like this mm -hmm. it's pure genuine love mm -hmm. and i feel as if i've done a decent job mm -hmm. explaining it that i'd like to so it's wrong first off because god said it was like we said earlier we start with that that's now she's not going to hear that and say oh my goodness why didn't i think of that right. obviously she's not going to because <laughs> is she she i assume she's not a believer i assume she's not a believer because she says she pokes holes and tries to poke holes in your face so i'm assuming she's not a believer then I would not a believer. <laughs> so that being the case, remember, that objection she's giving you is not rooted in not understanding it. It's rooted in she doesn't like it. She finds it sinful. Or not, 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 not uh, sinful. She finds it offensive. She disagrees with it. She's opposed to what's true. So keep that in mind. But the answer is, first off, God ordained it to be that way. That's the answer to the first question. Why is homosexuality a sin? Because God said it was. And because it doesn't fit to the creative order. Okay, we go to Genesis, God created nature to run in a certain fashion. This is a violation of that created order. So that's the scriptural evidence for why it's a sin. To answer the second one, though, what's wrong with two people who just love each other? Mm -hmm. Who defines love? Yeah, who do, if God defines love and God says that's not love, it doesn't matter how much they say it's love. Right. What matters is the creator of the universe, who is the source of love and the foundation of love, is saying, no, it's not. <laughs> it's... It's not. So who defines love? Okay, that's the question I would go with. Um, and then go back to, well, the love is defined by the God of Scripture, and the God of Scripture has said this. That was a good question. That's the kind of questions I want to hear. What are you afraid to be asked? Or what have you been asked and didn't know what to say? Don't make me pick someone to come up here and I'll ask you questions. 
I'll leave. <laughs> <laughs> God, that's a nightmare for me. Good night, guys. <laughs> I would add to your question, though, real quick. Um, I would point out, love is defined by God, and then love is demonstrated by God by sending His Son to die for sins, and you can be one of His people and, 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 and um, um, objectively have the love of God by repenting and trusting in Christ. I like to piggyback on, on it. I always like to point people back to the actuality of God's character in totality mm-hmm. in addition to answering that question. Yep. If God is love, it's like... It's not just God, love. God is <laughs> holy and wrathful and... Jealous. Righteous and just. And so, angry. Yeah. And, so, <laughs> and because of that, he has to judge the sin that yep. is in our right. hearts. Yep. Therefore... Yep. Anything that we want more than we want him mm-hmm. puts us at opposition to him. Like so I think it's always also um, in those spaces, and I'm sure you agree, to identify. Mm-hmm. Especially if we're having a conversation with someone that at least has some knowledge of this. Absolutely. They're aware. Absolutely. They're aware of like what and you're gonna be bringing to the table. So I, like So your your answer to that was slightly different than the one I gave, and that's a very good point here. It's not there's not one answer to every question. <laughs> There's not, like I said to you a second ago, there's a lot of on-ramps onto this. Like, there's a lot of different ways to go at this. The point is getting at the point that the Scripture is a foundation. We can take a thousand different ways of approaching it from the Scripture, but we're still coming from the Scripture. We're still coming from what we know from the Bible. So you can have more than one way of doing that. Well, we'll be sharpening the axe to cut down old daughter's oak. We'll be sharpening the axe to cut down old daughter's oak. We'll be sharpening the axe to cut down old daughter's oak. For the Lord, he's stronger far. And we all belong to Jerusalem above. We 